This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Do you appreciate what we just did? We come in every Sunday and we meet and we drink coffee and we have people sit up on a stage playing instruments and leading us in worship and then somebody stands behind a microphone or one of those Wendy's to go microphones and and we talk about the Bible. And we do it so often, and for many of us, we've done it so long, and it really doesn't mean anything to us. We go out for lunch, and we think about, well, they could have done this better, and man, he missed a great, he missed several great opportunities to stop. Two weeks ago, I was in a, in a church, and I was sitting right where you guys are. Well, not right where you are. Obviously, I was thousands of miles away. And as the, the worship started, I was highly critical. Uh, the, the people in the pews weren't singing, and it was more of a, uh, we're going we're gonna to sing for you kind of thing. And I was like, ah, man. Can't wait to get back to my church where we really worship, right? Even if curse leading. And then last week, I went to that same church with a friend from a country that's 99% Muslim, more than Saudi Arabia. He couldn't even, he he had to wear a covering over his face so that nobody could see him. And in case a camera panned, he couldn't, his, his face wouldn't be seen. All I could see was his eyes. And oh, how he worshiped. And after the service, we went out to a terrible Chinese place. It was cheap for a reason. And he couldn't hardly eat because he was talking about what a wonderful experience it was to meet together with the body of Christ and worship and sing And hear his word explained. And he never, ever, ever gets to do that. And God just took a spiritual knife and stabbed me in the soul. And made me recognize how blessed we are in this country 
but as believers to have the freedoms that we have. And so this morning as we, we come together, I pray that it would be for you a time of worship. And as we deal with probably the strangest passage in all of Scripture this morning, uh, I started to have them play the theme from the Twilight Zone before uh, I came up to preach. You'll see why in just a minute. My prayer is that God would speak to our hearts about how incredible Jesus Christ is. Just uh, one quick announcement. I, I celebrate with the church about our, 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 our missions offering, but I encourage us uh, it is awesome that we give, it's also awesome that we go, but it's also important that we prepare. Uh, in April, we're going to have a training, the 12th through the 14th, of learning how to teach oral learners, which is approximately 80% of the world's population. It's an even greater percentage of those that, that do, uh, do, have never heard the gospel of the, uh, the unreached, the 1040 window. And so if you're interested in learning how to be equipped in addition to literate means, uh, come and see me after or come and see me next week. Or after that, email me because I'll be gone for a month. Uh, but uh, we'd love to let you know uh, how you can be involved in learning how to share God's Word. I want to read... This passage of scripture, and we can put it on the. Uh, I don't ever have PowerPoints, like never, and I have like twelve of them today. Uh, I was going to do this as story, but it just couldn't be done. So, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now save you, saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but it is an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Amen. Amen. Now, as we read this, it's easy to get lost in some of the weirdness, Right? But the overall purpose of this section seems to be to show how Christ's suffering on the cross, which led to his proclamation to these spirits now in prison, is a pattern of suffering that leads to proclamation. Uh, so kind of a follow-up to verse 15 in chapter 3, where Christians who suffer are to be ready to make a defense, although the situations are not, not exactly the same. Peter's use of this incident makes sense in light of the fact that whenever such proclamations take place, there are two results. The condemnation of those that refuse the message and the salvation of those who receive it. 
There is no middle ground when it comes to the gospel. There's no no man's land. It's either yes or no. Now, there's three different ways that this is interpreted, uh, these, these, these spirits uh, that are in prison. Uh, some scholars would say, and we're going to read here in a minute, we're going to go we're going to go all over the Bible. You're going to get your walk through the Bible today. As a matter of fact, it's going to be more of a run through the Bible. Uh, so I hope you, hope, you have your, hope you have your hokas on. But in Genesis, we're going to look at the passage in Genesis, and it talks about, well, let's go ahead and go there. So Genesis 6, 1 through 9. This is just before the flood. Just before the ark, when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry I've made them. But Noah, now isn't that great? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's, it's the first time that grace occurs in Scripture, right here in this passage. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, it says here, when men begin to multiply on the face of the earth. You know, when, when we read that, we kind of gloss over it. When you, think of the, you know, when you think of the early earth, do you kind of think of just a, you know, this vast emptiness, like you know, a, a space where there's just not a lot of people? Have you ever thought, when you read the genealogy just before this when. You realize, among other things, that people lived a long, long time. 900 years or more. And they were having a lot of kids during that time. Now, just, just as an example, if a man has four kids and he lives to see his kids have kids, in five generations, his family will number 96. That's a, that's a big bunch. Big family. Ten generations... The population just of his family would be over 3,000. In 20 generations, the population soars to over 3 million. And in 30 generations, just for this one family, the family size goes to over 3 billion. One family. That's a lot of people. Right? And so it says that, that when men began to multiply on the face 
of the earth. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive. And they said, oh, yeah. That's kind of the Hebrew there. Oh, yeah. Now, the, the question is, because we go to 1 Peter 3 and we come here and, and we have these uh, sons of God. Sons of God across Scripture almost uh, all, in the Old Testament says is angels, right? However, there are three basic views to this. Uh, one, that it's the godly line of Seth marrying into the ungodly line of Cain. Uh, the other is that there are rulers and authorities who come on the scene and they marry these women and they drag them away from the Lord. And then there's the archaic old guy's view that these are demonic spirits uh, that somehow cross-pollinated with women. Well, I'm an old guy. So you can guess where I land. And you're going to see why, hopefully, as we go through some of these uh, passages together. It says here that God looked at what happened. The, these, these spirits, let's go ahead and go to the next slide so you can kind of see uh, what's going on. Because it, we address here again strange spirits. This is out of 2 Peter chapter 2. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, here he specifically says angels, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept under the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So it seems obviously he's referring back to what we just read about in Genesis, right? A herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then he kind of gives a little bit of a rationale. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes... He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, always bugs me. I never think about Lot as being righteous, right? He always comes across as a jerk in the scriptures until you get here. Righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. So uh, again, here we seem to have spiritual beings who have kind of crossed the line. And, and they've done something, right? They've gone after strange flesh. Uh, let's go to the next slide because there's another New Testament in Jude. If you've never read Jude, you ought to. It's interesting. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did, did not keep their own domain, 
but abandon their proper abode, he is kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So what we have here, again, is another reference to some kind of angelic being that has done something sensual, sexual, uh, unapproved by God, and now waiting for judgment. Right? It's just, it's just a little strange. It is. It just, it, it just is what it is. But in Genesis 3, 13 through 15, it says, And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So apparently the snake had legs, right, from what we can see here. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, which is a strange way to put it because it's the seed of the man and not the woman, right? But in this reference, the promise is that her seed shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a promise of a coming Messiah. As a matter of fact, this is the reason, if you notice that in, in, uh, later on in Genesis chapter 3, who named, who named uh, uh, the, the first woman woman? It's not a trick question. Adam. Yeah. He saw her and went, whoa, man. But later on in Genesis 3, it says, And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. She hadn't had any kids yet. So he renamed her by faith that God's promise was going to be fulfilled. Adam believed it. I believe the demons believed it as well. And they were trying to do everything they could to circumnavigate the pure line of mankind. And they did a lot of things to tempt. But apparently in Genesis, this kind of came to, uh, to fruition, right? As they went all out to pollute the line of men and had some kind of strange offspring. Now, some people would say, yeah, but Jesus said in Matthew 22, in the resurrection, uh, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. These angels aren't in heaven. These angels are on the earth. You remember, you remember the story of uh, uh, Sodom and, and Gomorrah when the, the men came in to Lot's house and the other men in town saw them are like, whoa, we'd like to know these guys. Didn't mean they wanted to be introduced, right? And they, they did, they, these angels were desired by these men, and, and, and God struck them all blind, and that's a, by the way, if you ever watch, uh, I think it's the Bible, 
Those angels are ninja warriors carrying samurai swords. Never understand the way Hollywood's mind works. Right? Like, this isn't enough. <laughs> you know, this isn't weird enough. You, you got to add to it. So where were these where were these angelic creatures put? Let's go to the next slide here. Ephesians 6:12 kind of gives us a, a little bit of a background of what's going on spiritually. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, uh, we way undervalue what's going on around us spiritually. We just don't, we don't pay much attention to it here. By the way, as I travel around the world, they pay attention. <laughs> Other parts of the world, this is not strange to them. Uh, I was in Peru, uh, the, the president of, uh, excuse me, Bolivia. I was in Bolivia. The president of Bolivia had seven witches that traveled with him everywhere he went. The major buildings in Bolivia, in downtown La Paz, uh, they are always seeking after newborn infants that they can place in the foundation of the building and build the building over top of them uh, so that they can invite the spirits to come and work. In India, demon possession is right out there for everybody to see. It's like, you know, driving down the road, they would have stopped the car. Ask Kurt about that. Okay, yeah, we got we to gotta deliver this guy, and then we'll get back on the road. Right? To us, it's just like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Right? To them, it's Tuesday. It, it, it's, nothing, it's nothing extravagant. But we need to recognize that there is a spiritual battle going on around us, whether we can see it or not. Let's go to the next slide. I think I might have gotten us out of order. There we go. No. I did exactly what I intended to do. My plan came together. In Daniel, it's really interesting. Here we have Daniel, right? Like God's special guy. I mean, like, this dude is amazing. Lions wouldn't even eat him, right? His friends wouldn't even burn. But later on in his life, he's praying, he's asking for something, and it says <laughs> that this angel comes to him and says, hey, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Listen, if an angel sent from God with a message is hindered for 21 days by some other angelic creature that's resisting, does that give you any kind of idea of the power going on behind the scenes? Now, nothing we ought to be scared of. I can remember, uh, I, I bet Jen remembers, we went to Haiti, and uh, the, the, the group wanted to go to this voodoo temple. Uh, and it was, it was the day, it was their day of high worship. It was the, 
the holiest day of the year to them. And all these, all these guys were, uh, and gals were dancing around, asking these spirits to inhabit them uh, and fill them. And uh, we, we didn't know what day it was when we went. And so there's this little bitty guy, little skinny Haitian guy, uh, who came running at me with a bottle because we started to go into the temple and screaming something at him, and who knows what it was. It was in Creole. I don't speak Creole. And I just started laughing. I thought it was hysterical, you know, because I'm like, dude, A, I'll just sit on you. And there's not really going to be a fight here. And B, greater is he who is in me than he who is in you. Like, there's no, there's no threat either way. But those things are real all around the world. And it says that these angels that, that sinned, they're, they're awaiting judgment. Let's go ahead and let's, let's go to uh, our next slide. Everybody knows the story of the rich man of Lazarus, right? Some of your Bibles is going to say the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. And, and, and I don't agree with that. But because parables use the word was like, uh, or here's a, here's a parable. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty clear when they introduce. And they almost never have proper names. And in this story, we have a guy's name. There was this poor guy, Lazarus, who, man, he was, he was in bad shape. Uh, and he lived at this rich guy's gate, and he died, and the angels took him to Abraham's bosom. Go ahead and give us the next slide so we can see a chart. I know you guys are so excited. You woke up this morning and said, man, I hope I go to church and see a chart. That would just, that would just fill my spirit. So this, the rich guy dies, and he goes to Tartarus or Hades awaiting judgment. And there's a great gulf. He, he looks at Abraham and says, Abraham... Man, can you please just get a, a, a dip of water and put on my tongue because I am in torments. And Abraham said, sorry, dude. You had your shot when you were alive and, and you made a choice. And now there's a great gulf between us. And, and Lazarus said, hey, what about my brothers? I, here's the deal. I got five brothers. I don't want them coming to this place. Send Lazarus to them so that they don't come here. And Abraham said, man, if they won't hear the law and the prophets, they're not going to listen. This is prophetic. Even if somebody raises from the dead. But this is a picture of the, the state. Sheol, if you ever hear the word Sheol, divided into paradise which our understanding scripturally in the New Testament when Jesus was, uh, was raised from the dead, uh, that part, those people are with, with the Lord now. There's a great gulf, then there's Tartarus, people waiting for torments. Uh, people not actually in hell as we know it today, uh, but rather awaiting a place. And seemingly, according to 2 Peter and Jude, there's another place even worse than that, this part of that, 
where these angels that sin against God's way are awaiting final judgment. And those are the angels, now we're back to our passage, in Peter, where Christ, when he died, proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Wasn't an evangelistic message. was a proclamation of victory. Satan thought he killed me. And he did for a couple hours. But now I have won the victory. And he proclaimed that victory to these spiritual beings. It was not a, not a way of salvation, but a way of promised judgment. But they're, they're being judged now, but there will come a judgment this evening. Because, you see, we, in our culture... I grew up reading magazines that were not what kids should read, but it was almost universal. Whenever Satan or hell was mentioned, who rules in hell, according to most, most people in our culture? Satan does, right? Which is the craziest thing ever, because he wants nothing to do with it. It was created for him and his fallen angels. He's not ruling in hell. He's suffer- He's going to suffer in hell at the end times, when God judges him. He's not ruling. He's not choosing how people are going to be punished. It's not his kingdom. As we saw, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's loose now. But there's coming a day. There's coming a day. He said, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. In Genesis, it talks about the 120 years of God waiting. I think with every blow of the hammer on the ark or chainsaw or whatever he was using, that Noah was using the opportunity to speak to folks. Hey, listen, come on. Because that's got to draw a crowd, right? You ever been to the ark there in, in Williamstown? Man, I remember the first time we went and the, and the bus pulled up. And I was like, <gasps> oh, my goodness. Uh, now when I travel around the world, used to, people talk to me about Kentucky fried chicken. Oh, you're from Kentucky, fried chicken. Uh, that was universally everywhere I went. Uh, now, when I go to other countries, universally, the question I get is, have you been to the ark? And I'm like, yeah. It's just weird for me that you know that. So, I mean, it's, you know, I'm in places that don't have running water or anything, and they're asking me questions about the ark, right? And the ark is a beautiful picture of God's righteousness because it shows his grace and mercy but it also shows what he thinks about sin. You see, here's our problem as a culture. We think we know about sin better than God does. You know, there are certain sins. Pedophiles, that's bad. Adultery, well, it kind of depends on the situation. I mean, if, you know, if this new person makes the other person happy, right? 
And I mean, honestly, you, you, ever, watch a, you ever watch a movie on, on uh, uh, TV? Uh, how often they excuse away a joke, it's going to make me happy. And they do that with sin after sin after sin. Whatever makes me happy. And God is not interested in our happiness nearly as much as he's interested in our holiness. God patiently waited for 120 years and then eight people out of those possible billions we talked about. And also notice none of Noah's other relatives were there either. That's heartbreaking, right? And it says baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Now, I mean... So we need to have a long line of people coming up to be baptized so we can wash the sins away. And in somewhere we need to drain that so those sins don't, uh, uh, you know, mess up anything. That's not what this is saying. This is using baptism as a picture. Just as the ark was a picture, so baptism is a picture, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's having faith in the resurrected Christ and trusting in Him. The overall purpose of this passage is that Christ's suffering on the cross and His proclamation of victory is a pattern of suffering that leads to proclamation as he's speaking to these people that are starting a journey of persecution. I've got a friend. He's been poisoned numerous times because of his faith. He was kidnapped, held hostage for a considerable period of time, and every day they tortured him. Strictly because of his faith in Jesus Christ. There were some men who were working with him in ministry. When, when my friend was, was let out, they arrested these men. And they put one in jail. And while he was in jail, they arranged for him to be assassinated. And they filmed it to send to his family and to my friend. And another guy was beheaded because of what he was doing for the cause of Christ. And that was also videoed and sent to my friend. And yet, this is one of the most joyful Spirit-filled people I know. Because he recognizes this is not the end. The first part of the verse the passage we're studying. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh 
but made alive in the Spirit. We do not worship a dead Savior, but a living one. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just like I mentioned at the beginning of this message, we take so much for granted. And we hear that passage over and over and over again. But do we ever stop and think about what it really means? Because you see, in those days, if you ever go to, if you ever go to Jerusalem, I'll be there again in a couple of months. There's, there's, these, there's these gutters, basically, that are made for the blood of the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sheep that were sacrificed every year to cover the sin of the people. And when we hear, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it doesn't strike us the way it should. Because to any Jew who heard that, we're like, wait, what? It, 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 not covered, but taken away? And I don't know where you are with the Lord. But I'm telling you, some of you are going through tough times. That's part of life. Some of us go through tough times because we're just idiots, right? I mean, most, most of the tough times I've gone through, I can't blame anybody else but the guy that looks at me in the mirror. But then there's times, you know, that we, we, get, we get innocently mistreated. Or there's times we're mistreated because of who we follow. I just say rejoice and stay strong. And prepare for that day, because if it hadn't happened to you yet, it probably will. You know, my, 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 my friends that I hang with that are from persecuted countries, they just laugh and giggle about all the, the you know, showing the scars. I've talked about that before, that they've gotten for suffering for the Lord. Uh, and, and they're like, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Are we ready? And do we appreciate the incredible gift of our Savior? If you're here and you've never received that gift, we invite you to come and talk to one of us. Because there is no greater joy than the joy of knowing you have been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And have the Spirit to walk with you as we walk through this life, striving to grow in Him. In just a minute, the band is going to come and they're going to lead us in some more worship. And we have these trays here with uh, grape juice and stale wafers. There's no magic in these things. But it is a remembrance of what Jesus did with his disciples on that last night, the last supper. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we invite you to come and partake. Let's stand as we pray. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that sometimes uh, you have things going on behind the scenes that just, they basically freak us out, Lord.
I thank you that we don't see all the things spiritually going on because that would just blow our minds. But, Lord, even with those things taking place, I thank you that greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. And we celebrate you, Jesus, this morning, that you're greater than anything we can face in this life. And I just pray, Lord, if there's, as we come to celebrate remembering what you did, may we also obey what you have commanded. I just ask, Lord, that you would take this time as an offering. Use it, Lord, to touch hearts and change lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.